0: 1920. She ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the And science was the province of men of noble birth. But I take Mary in the for All years. right, all right. Every welcome back to Stem Patel. Your, Your women, women in, in, sci- in science, in his, history. history podcast Podcast. (laughs) oh not pleasant to listen to uh we just recorded our previous episode about margaret dayhoff Mm -hmm. it was great so it's yeah it feels like you know it's weird to do an introduction to the podcast when we've been recording the podcast for an hour but you know yeah welcome welcome Welcome. back it's new for you this week (laughs) it is you're right welcome to our mind space (laughs) <laughs> um i'm emma dilemma dr emma dilemma i'm dr Emlyn gremlin still in a literal closet in the dark <laughs> it's closet. good for my psyche yeah that's pretty funny yeah that's cool i'm not in a closet i'm on a bed with another mattress across from nice. me. yes alex has an extra mattress Good da- um, yeah. sound dampening. Yeah, hopefully. You'll find out soon, I guess, when you re-listen. <laughs> All right, Emlyn, are you ready to get into this week's lady? I am ready. Yes. Cool. Okay, so here's my starting question. Mm. Is there an age... At which you think it's too late to start a career in the sciences. <laughs> it's Wait. It's kind of a trick question. <laughs> is there an age at which it's too late? Yeah, where you'd be like, oh, you're too old to be a scientist. I'm glad. When you said, is there an age that's too... I was thinking you're going to be like, it's too young to too date. Young? And like, this uh, is a bad question. You're like, I'm a yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I would never ask that. I know. You know, it's been a long day. I don't know. Yeah. Um too old. No, we're all lifelong learners. Exactly. There's <laughs> There's no age where you're too old to start a career in the sciences. Alright? Yes. <laughs> Everybody? Everybody calm down. And uh so trick question there's no age too old. And today's scientists. Inez Mejia started her career as a botanist when she was 51 years old. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you, uh, th- she's been like on our list for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. Tons of people have suggested her to mm-hmm. us, which is interesting to me because she, it, she does seem to be famous, but I had a really hard time finding details about her uh-huh. online. I think there might be a lot of, um, paper letters of hers like okay back and forth with people in museums but it was hard to find a lot of really cohesive stories about her life online but i tried to find things and put interesting things together that's that's a good goal yeah i don't have a very chronological story about her like we hit some major life points but year to year i don't exactly know what happened but uh you know, I'm going to try my best. Yeah, <laughs> it's on a need-to-know basis. Maybe we just don't need to know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I, her life is very interesting, and I wish she'd had done an autobi- written an autobiography or something. Hmm. Because there's some stuff where I'm like, dang, that was probably an interesting time in your life, and yeah. I'm very curious what happened. But, you know, that's okay. All right, so let's start with her birth, (laughs) as usual. Yes, tell me. Uh, Okay, so Inez Mejia was born on May 24th, 1870 in Washington, D.C. Oh. Yeah, so... She's one of our older ladies. Yeah, exactly. Her father was a Mexican diplomat okay uh who was living in dc at the time i mean this is even i'm not really sure like people say he was a general in the army or something or just a general and maybe he was working in dc at that time he was also kind of a wealthy landowner from what i could tell and their family had connections with the mexican government going back quite a few generations I couldn't find much about her mother, Sarah Wilmer, who was from Baltimore and descended from an archbishop. Oh, my. Uh, her family life seemed pretty crazy. I think her mom had six or seven kids, and her dad had a bunch of kids also at uh, various times throughout. Uh-huh. It's like not old school Brady Bunch. Yeah, not always together. I don't know uh-huh. how many kids they even had together. Maybe one or two. Uh, Yeah okay when she was let's see so she was born in dc in 1870 she when she was one year old her father moved the family to limestone county in texas where his family owned a bunch of land there's actually a town there now called Mejia, though i think texans pronounce it weird like Mejia or something and then i was like is that how you pronounce her name and i was like that doesn't make sense and Texans kind of classically mispronounce a lot of Spanish things. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yes. like Guadalupe and etc. Yeah. So there's a town there named after her family still there today, which is pretty cool. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Um let's see. So they lived there for a while and I think actually they moved around a lot while she was a little kid, so they would go back and forth between New England and Texas and Mexico because her dad had land in Texas and Mexico. Eventually, Mm -hmm. when she was nine, her parents divorced, and her father, I think, permanently moved back to Mexico City, and her mother moved the family to Philadelphia. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't really know what happened now until her early 20s. Um, I think she went to school... And after graduating high school, she moved to Mexico City to care for her alien father. In 1897, so now she's 27 years old, so that was her whole... <laughs> yeah, anyway. Okay, all the information yeah. from her, you know. Yeah, that I could really find. When she was 27, she married a man, Herman Lane, or some things say Lane, some things say his last name was Delau. He was a merchant in Mexico City, is what I know about him. Okay. Uh, The next year, her father died, and this... uh, He left a bunch of land and money to Inez and one of her stepsisters, but she had to fight, Mm -hmm. I think, one of her father's mistresses and a stepbrother for that land and money for a a little while. It sounds very, like, (laughs) Cinderella-esque, or, like, a good soap opera. Uh Uh-huh. But eventually she, she did inherit a ton of land and on this land she started raising and selling animals like chickens. And she did that for Aww. quite a few years. Yeah. Um, sadly her husband Herman died in 1904. So this is seven years later. She's 34 and. Hmm. A couple years later, though, she remarried to a man named Augustine de Regados, who, actually, this is kind of funny, it kind of goes back, he was, okay, hold on, sorry, I just realized something. So he was one of her employees, and 16 years her junior. Oh my, yes, yes. But he was- That would make him 18. Oh, no, no. Well, that goes back to my question, and that's... Exactly, yes. Too young, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, was, but back in the day... L- legally, like, I mean, I, it's a big age gap. I just see a lot of 18-year-olds on campus, and I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah, this was... I don't know, like, how this happened. It seems like a questionable decision, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to judge, but... <laughs> I'm just seeing little bit. <laughs> Yeah. That's, um... Yeah. So, but this was a very short-lived marriage. So, okay. the next year, in 1908, she... Moved to San Francisco apparently to seek medical advice, where a lot of things I read said she had a mental breakdown and that's mm. why she moved to San Francisco in California. Okay. Um, and while there, she had left her business to Augustine, her new husband, who quickly bankrupted it. <laughs> yeah, eighteen <laughs> so- year old. <laughs> So she sold it. She sold the land, and she divorced him, and decided to stay in San Francisco. <laughs> oh man, which is like a huge life change. And she what happened to the chickens? It, you know, gone. I guess no, you know, no more chicken business. <laughs> no. she didn't even stay in that career. She found a job as a social worker, and from what I could tell, she did that for about ten to fifteen years. Okay, okay. so now we're getting into her actual scientific career because that was just her life for like 40 years was this kind of roller coaster ride it seems like Mm -hmm. and pretty this is where i'm like i need this story it sounds so cool and interesting and who knows but yeah yeah she lived a whole life before she became a scientist essentially which is pretty cool um okay so in 1920 she, so she's 50 years old. She began participating in outings and field trips organized with the Sierra Club, which you okay. probably know. Yeah. yeah. But the Sierra Club now is like this big environmental activist kind of organization. But at the time, mm-hmm. and at the time it did somewhat that kind of stuff, but it was mostly used as a kind of recreational society, which People would just, like, go on hikes together through the Sierra Club or just meet up with local naturalists in the Northern California, essentially. Um, it had only just started, you know, 20 years earlier, pretty much. But so she would go on hikes with a lot of people in the Bay Area and the Sierras and stuff. And she realized that she kind of had a love for the natural world and for plants, So in 1921, at the age of 51, she decided to go to school, to college. Nice. Um, Yeah. And so she was applied and was accepted to UC Berkeley where, yeah, where she began taking classes in the natural sciences and, uh, especially classes in botany. Over the next few years, she continued taking courses and going on field trips in California with other botany students at UC Berkeley, and she was kind of a special student in that I don't think she was enrolled in a major, per se. I kind of think she was enrolled to just take classes, like, as long as she wanted to, um, mm-hmm. she never graduated from UC Berkeley, but she continued taking classes there and kind of working there for a really long time. So, yeah, I don't know how that works, but I guess was she, as- was she actually working there? Uh, like she, she, did she, she sorta, have a sort of no, but okay. she kind of starts. It's confusing. It's a little confusing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I wonder. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. In 1925, so this is about four years after she started at UC Berkeley, she took a course at the uh, Johns Hopkins Marine Station in California, where she met Roxana Ferris, who was the assistant herbarium curator for Stanford University. And yeah, and this was a course in flowering plants. And Shortly after that course, Roxana invited uh, Inez on a trip with her to Mexico to collect plants. Um, Nice. And so, yeah, Inez was like, yeah, I really want to go. That sounds amazing. And the trip was cut somewhat short because Inez fell off of a cliff (laughs) during the trip. No, (laughs) Inez! She is okay. Like, she injured herself, but they had to, like, stop the... But she lived, you know? Yeah. But... Despite this, they were able to collect almost 500 plant specimens, including several new species, and one of which is named uh, Mimosa mexiae after Inez. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and the trip was just so fun for her, and um, she loved the adventure that she just finally realized that that was her passion, was to go on these crazy adventures and collect a ton of plants. <laughs> and (laughs) almost uh, fall off cliffs yeah and that's essentially what she did for like the next 15 years over the next 12 years she traveled on solo expeditions to mexico brazil alaska peru ecuador chile and argentina um that's crazy that's awesome yeah and she was like women weren't even allowed to have passports I think at the time so how she Uh went on these trips I have no idea she's crafty she on one of these trips yeah these were crazy adventures too like she canoed and rafted on the Amazon River from its delta to its source covering nearly 3,000 miles in two and a half years oh my god (laughs) (laughs) she would like befriend tribes essentially and like you know enlist like people from the tribes to help her find plants she just really got into it and she would ride horses and drive in like crazy trucks and camp outside basically um so she just really was in it for the adventure i think and you know when you're like in your 50s and you've seen a lot and why not just go do that sounds super fun yeah is it too late for us to get an autobiography (laughs) emlyn are you serious (laughs) no i'm not i know she's dead i'm sorry she was born in 1870 yeah i would read i would read that i know it sounds great i don't think it's it's not too late for a biography i do think there's a lot of stuff about her it's just like like letters and journals and stuff yeah i think someone would really have to work hard to put Mm -hmm. it all together and that's where you need like a researcher who's wants to do that Mm -hmm. Layla mcneil uh that would be cool i would love that i will read it i will i will support you on (laughs) patreon me too Let's see. Around the time, so this is where it's like I don't know year to year what was going on, but I'm just gonna talk more about her research and like what she kind of did during all these trips. Do it. So around the time I want she, it, yeah, her first trip to Mexico, she connected with a woman Alice Eastwood, who was a botanist who is credited with building the botanical collection at the Cal Academy of Sciences which oh nice yeah and it's a good person to know dude and putting together the story i was like literally every botanist in california in the 20s was a woman which is really cool like it's just Mm -hmm. all these women working together sometimes not getting along from what something said but that's fine you know not everybody gets along um so, Inez had written to Alice asking if the Academy would be interested in funding her trips if, in return, she sent specimens back to the Cal Academy. And I don't know if that's how her first trip to Mexico was funded, but I think it's eventually how quite a few of her trips were funded. Nice. Were. She would basically just collect a ton of specimens and send them to museums uh, throughout the U.S. and, and universities uh, for their collections. And she and Alice became good friends throughout both of their careers, sometimes going on collection trips together. And Inez contributed greatly to the botanical collection at the Cal Academy. She also Inez also worked closely with Nina Floyd Braslin, or otherwise known as Bracy, who was essentially responsible for preserving almost all of Inez's work. So Inez would go on these adventures and then she would send this stuff to Bracy, who would do all the label preparation and send the specimens to specialists. For naming, Bracy would arrange, like, sales and connections to different universities. Um, so Inez just wasn't into that kind of, like, museum preservation work. Yeah, she, just she like, wanted, wanted to go get it. Yeah, she was like, I want to canoe in the Amazon. I don't want to tape this <laughs> into the books, you know? Yeah, I mean, so, it's not for everybody. Um, yeah, so Bracy is really, like, the woman who made sure all of this stuff is still around today for researchers nice. for us to look at now yeah that's awesome and i read an interview with bracy where she talks a lot about inez um, in a sort of a weird interview she says a lot of things about inez's temperament um where she was very passionate straightforward and tough and occasionally hot-headed so for instance <laughs> this is this was a crazy story. Okay. Once she and Inez and another woman assistant working with them uh-huh. went to have a picnic lunch. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Normal picnic lunch, right? Sounds um, mediocre at best. <laughs> the, the woman they were with started teasing Inez about something and Inez got so mad that she took out a knife and cut the woman's stockings and I, cut the woman. Excuse <laughs> me? Inez, your decision making. She basically stabbed her. Okay. I've got to say, some of Inez's decisions seem <laughs> not great. Yeah. She, yeah. <laughs> also, a weird decision to make. And this was like, I was like, what the? Like, that's a really weird thing to do. Like, it was, that went from Uh, like zero (laughs) to 60 very quickly. I know. I know. I was, I found this like kind of at the end of my research, and I was like, man, it's like, do I include this? It's kind of interesting. Always include it. I mean, the lady was okay, but. Well, I'm glad she didn't kill the lady. So I'm glad she's okay. (laughs) That would be a much darker. Like,. From what I can tell, she like sliced her stockings and like in doing that kind of like cut a lady like a little bit, you know, not like a full on stab, yeah, but it's still, it was also not, like, not great. Why would you do that? Still not great. I mean, why is she had a knife ready for that? I have no idea. But that was just a, a story about her. And that's kind of, she was just kind of this like, tough, don't fuck with me kind of Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I will not fuck with you, Inez. Please put that knife down. Never tease Inez. Okay. But she, but a lot of people considered her, like, a great friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> and people really did love her, and mm-hmm. um, she would accompany lots of researchers traveling throughout Latin America, as she was one of few scientists at the time that spoke Spanish, and She was great at getting along with locals and places they would travel to and, and really assimilating into local culture while she was collecting. So she was invaluable in that sense to a lot of people. And, but don't tease her. Yeah. (laughs) Don't tease her. And, uh, when she would come back to San Francisco between her trips, she would, uh, get crowds of people to come, like, and she would give lectures about her travels. Nice show all these pictures and like tell about all about her adventures so she was really just living large <laughs> yeah yeah okay so overall it's estimated that Inez collected over 150,000 samples during oh her my God. basically 12 year career which uh-huh. is pretty massive um, yeah she discovered a genus of flowering plants that are now called Mexianthus, and okay. she discovered hundreds, if not thousands, of new species, some of which are still being described today. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And uh, though she didn't prepare many of her specimens for her herbarium, she did take very detailed field notes of these really remote locations that she visited, and so those notes have also been really crucial to to describing a lot of these species yeah okay in 1938 she fell ill while on a trip in mexico and returned to san francisco after she couldn't really recover Mm -hmm. and a few months later she died of lung cancer at the age of 68 which is pretty young yeah um but those last years she like went hard i know (laughs) Her science career was brief but productive, and her life just seemed so fascinating that I was like, I need more, but I couldn't find, you know, a lot of details to fill in some of those years. But, yeah, that's Inez Mejia, and that's her crazy, cool life. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. That's that's really interesting, like, the getting into the science so late in your life. But, yeah, she seems... To have just been, like, something awoke in her, and she was like, I'm gonna go just travel and canoe 3,000 miles. I mean, she didn't have family really anymore, Mm -hmm. it seems like, and she kind of found this new family in the Sierra Club and in plants and everything and just figured out, you know, what she wanted to do in the end which is pretty cool yeah so it's never, you know, too, it's late never too late to change yeah. <laughs> your career to figure out what your true passions are to raft up and down the amazon yeah never too late <laughs> it's never too late to, well, to slightly no, stab someone it's never too late <laughs> no i'm sure they were fine i was like i feel like i have to include this like if brace oh you have to like this interview with You was sort of on her sick bed, like, she was very old, and, like, I was like, if she included this, I have to it. Yeah, you have it, to. Because it was an important memory of Inez <laughs> to her. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. But she lived pretty large, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been seeing her everywhere, and I just haven't, you know, gotten around. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Should we work, work, work? Gasp. Work, 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 work. All right. This is our Women Who Work section, giving uh shout-outs to badass women, making her story today. Yeah. And my shout out is to the Warm Regards Podcast. Oh. And a few of its co-hosts, especially Dr. Sarah Mer- Mer- M-Y-H-R-E, and Dr. Jacqueline Jill. Mm. So there are many contributors to this podcast. Um, Not all of them are women, but it's a really great podcast that tells you about climate change, what it's like to work in this discipline, and why you should care, and kind of how to explain it to other people. Specifically, my shout-out goes to an all-female-hosted episode entitled The Dangers of Doing Science in the Field that I listened to recently on a trip to Atlanta. Where they talk about the machismo associated with fieldwork and how this kind of enhances the dangers, the natural dangers of doing this work. Like, I don't know how much fieldwork you've done in groups. Not a lot, actually. Yeah, But, like, I've done fieldwork in remote areas in groups where, like, it's a very cowboy atmosphere where safety Mm -hmm. isn't really taken seriously. I could definitely... I mean... And where... All of your like close calls are more jokes than they are, yeah, really serious things to learn from. I've been on field courses, okay, where I think it's it's not quite the same as like trying to complete a project. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do projects, but they're not necessarily as like intense as someone's PhD. Or I don't know. Well, they are actually sometimes, but um. But yeah, those courses, I do feel like sometimes there are the rule followers and then sometimes there are the people that are like, I want to find the most animals and be like the most daring and adventurous mm-hmm. of everybody. Yeah. That, that machismo yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah. Which is not safe when you have like, crazy animals around or like you've been Mm -hmm. working all day and need to eat something or (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh they they talk in this episode about the dangers that you know scientists face every day when doing this research and they also talk about the statistics about female researchers that experience sexual assault and sexual misconduct during this already perilous remote field work so you're already putting yourself in danger Mm -hmm. and you're already very isolated and then you there's a lot of uh, power dynamics that are happening um, so it's kind of a uh-huh. hotbed for people to abuse their power if it's not yeah well regulated and people aren't watching out for each other uh, and so it was just a really good episode and it was, you know, they were just having a conversation but it made me think a lot and made me very angry but like in a good way um, so I just yeah. recommend that episode yeah. and I think you that should sounds really cool. especially with all of the Amazon burning you should definitely go check out warm regards oh so that's my shout out yeah that podcast sounds really interesting mm-hmm. yeah cool i have to yeah. listen to that it's good all right so that's our episode if you liked our episode um and want to support us please rate review and subscribe please. to us on itunes we really appreciate it, it helps people find the podcast yeah. Um, which is really important since we're all independent and the only way people hear about us is via word of mouth totally. or us popping up on iTunes. And I wanted to give a shout out to Artichoke, as always, for our great theme music and to Caitlin Friesen for our awesome art. Yeah. And as always, go stimulate, go stimulate yourself. yourself. By circa 1820, she ran a fossil.